Welcome to the Walk With Me podcast. I'm Pastor Stephen Vaughn from the Vine Church in Chapel Hill, Tennessee, and I'm excited that you are walking with me. What we do each day is we look at about three chapters of Scripture that I'm just organically reading through in my time with the Lord, and we're going to discuss them for around 20 minutes. You're going to get the most out of this if you read these chapters individually, but hopefully together we'll be able to hear the voice of the Lord as we're meeting each day. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. Today's passage is from Ecclesiastes chapter 6, 7, and 8. And we're just trucking right along through the book of Ecclesiastes, which is this more mature uh, state of wisdom. And in saying that it's more mature, it's it's harder to actually digest some of the some of the proverbs and some of the pieces of wisdom that we had in the book of proverbs so some of this was not necessarily easy to apply but it had a lot of um promises attached to it that that motivated us right and that's kind of the the younger state of wisdom of you know train up my child in the way that he should go when he grows old he won't depart from it so there's a there's a there's there a given a uh, piece of advice and then also to understand uh, this could ha- this should happen if you do this so do this and this will happen like an equation this equals this and this equals this and Ecclesiastes just doesn't offer that to us as often and, and so it's almost a more mature state of wisdom and understanding um, how meaningless, meaningless that so much of what we do pursue after is. So the equation's still there, but it's it's not quite as attractive because it's actually this uh, plus this equals nothing, and this and this also equal nothing, and this equals nothing, and so it doesn't just make us jump up out of our chairs and and seek to do something. Um, or live a certain way, it actually puts us into a state of contemplation to try to figure out, well, where is their meaning? What should I be doing? And it's it's humbling. And uh, so it's a beautiful book, and we're still using it um, to go along with um, trying to figure out what is wisdom and... Um, how do I apply it to my life? And so in um, chapter six, it says, there's an evil that I have seen under the sun and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man lives a if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, then he also has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. So the first part of this, what he is saying is, you know, it doesn't really matter what you acquire because it says God doesn't give the power to enjoy them. And that could that could speak of two things. One, it could speak of the fact that, you know, we're just not going to live here 
forever. And so it takes time to acquire things. And you see this all the time, especially in America. You know, people spend the first, you know, 60, 70 years of their life trying to acquire things. And they really do so by faith, honestly, that God's going to give them any time at the end to enjoy it. And uh, it's a dangerous thing because the enjoying really has to start now because the the later is never promised. God promises a lot of things, but one thing he never promises is tomorrow. Okay, so we have to live in the present and live learning to enjoy today. And so even if we were to get 80, 90 years, you know, basically to understand this from a pl- from a place of wisdom, we think, man, that's kind of sad that I spent 70 years earning what I could only enjoy for 10 and then gave to someone else. And so that's that was that's kind of the heart of this is man, you know, this is this is evil. You know, this isn't this isn't good. This is it ought not be this way. You know, and you have to understand Solomon viewed things um, with that, without an eternal mindset. Um, Solomon viewed things from the wisdom of the place of what I see is what there is. And when this is, when I, when my life is over here, then that's all there ever will be. And so um, some of the things that we read about, we can't just run away with and make them the scriptures of our life. And the reason why is because there's always a, there's always a, a sorrowful uh, heart behind pretty much everything that Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes because he knows not the Savior. He knows not Jesus. The Messiah has not yet come, right? Um, I mean, his father, David, is was the, the one in which was prophesied that from David would come the Savior. So he's just at the beginning, um, you know, of some of the greatest messianic promises of what would come to pass. And I believe that he believed that God's word would come to pass and that the Deliverer, the Savior, the Messiah would come. And so in the Old Testament, they looked ahead to that Jesus would come and they were, you know, made righteous by faith in that way as Abraham was. We are now made righteous by faith in looking back that Jesus has come. But what we have received is by looking back and believing that has Jesus has come, he said, it's better that I go so that I can leave you the helper, the Holy Spirit. And so now when I look back and believe that Jesus has come and make him Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit comes inside of me. And this is... um the very nature of God that is supplying wisdom, that is supplying hope, that is supplying faith, that is supplying joy, that is supplying patience and kindness and self-control. And they didn't have that luxury when they were looking ahead to the cross. Okay, we get this now because we are we're living in a time of the finished work and the kingdom has come. And so they didn't have that luxury. The Spirit of God would come upon them in in moments of necessity and uh, would also supply unique things like wisdom. Solomon's been given wisdom, but he's not necessarily been given joy, right? So you're, you're listening to a wise old man lacking joy and peace and patience and kindness and, 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 and the promise truly of, you know, closing his eyes to sleep and opening eyes, his eyes in, in heaven with Jesus before the throne of God. So you got to understand where he's at as he writes these words. They're wise, but they're wise through the scope of, of the land that we're living in, if that makes sense. And so 
you know, he says, this is evil, you know, but we know that, well, yes, it is. But at the same time, I know that the purpose of my life isn't to acquire great things anyway. Right? So Solomon says, it's pointless. And we say, yeah, it is. Right? And then he says, you know, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many lives, many years, so that the years of his the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, he he has no and he has no burial. I say this stillborn child is better off than he. And that's I circled not satisfied because that's the most beautiful thing in, in this verse. He says, It really doesn't matter what man gets. Um his life is a total loss if he's never satisfied. And you know, that's so that's so powerful because wise people are content. Wise people are content. And so it really doesn't matter. There's no difference between, you know, uh, Elon Musk or Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, or anyone that's ever acquired great things, even, you know, great actors and musicians and Michael, Michael Jackson and, you know, Bruce Willis and Tom Hanks and whatever, all these people. They've acquired great things and a great wealth. Yet, if they've not learned the art of being satisfied, then they're no better off than anyone else. And that's understand. That's a wise place to understand that, and it will change your pursuit because then your pursuit stops being the things, and it starts being your heart. And that's also what we have access through through by the Holy Spirit is that we seek peace, not prosperity. I seek joy, not gain. I seek love, not wealth. You know, and and that's the pursuit of my life is to become more like Jesus. So that I am satisfied with my life, no matter what my life looks like, because whether it looks amazing or whether it looks horrible for the next 60 years, I want to enjoy it the same, right? Jesus didn't live a life that looked attractive in in the natural sight. Paul didn't live a life that looked attractive in the natural sight, yet they lived wonderful lives. Paul said, I've learned to be content in all things, whether I have plenty or whether I have nothing. Right, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right, he says, Jesus is in me, giving me the power to enjoy every season, and that should be our cry and our prayer and our focus. And so, um, uh, then he goes down and he says, even though uh, one should live a thousand years twice over, yet yet enjoys no good. Do not all go down to the same place. He liked that. He was really into that concept of basically understanding everyone dies. Right when he says everybody goes to the same place, I don't think he necessarily means spiritually. Like you, we can't read it like everyone goes to heaven or anything like that. But it's 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 this idea of everybody goes to the grave because he doesn't. It's hard to put in. It's part. It's hard to insert that he really meant anything other than that when he never did entirely. He never did in this book. He just speaks about the earth. But if we wanted to say it like everyone goes to Sheol was his spiritual concept, we could say that, and and then we would kind of understand it best we know how, of how Sheol was separated from Abraham's bosom, the place of the righteous, and then the, and then the place of where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth that in utter darkness that Jesus spoke of, and there being that divide between the two, right? But I don't think he had that, that quite, that understanding or was trying to teach that. Uh, I don't think that that was well known. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said, well, everybody just goes to the same place. Well, it may have been the same place, but but we remember from the story of Lazarus that it, they were, it was completely different, the experience that one experienced on one side than to the other side before Jesus came with, with the keys and, and allowed for, for us to choose between heaven and hell. 
And and so I know that's kind of deep. I don't mean to go there because I don't think that's where he was going. I just want to kind of give us some insight. I think his his wisdom is continuously about the things of this earth and basically just saying um, everyone's going to the grave. And so he says um, a good name is better than precious ointment. Um, sorrow is better than laughter. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Uh, you know, some of these things are kind of, it's kind of like, wow, that's kind of wild that he would say that. Well, why, why does he say that? Because he's found that in his search for wisdom, it's actually wise to remember that you're not going to be here forever. You know, Solomon says it's better to go to funerals than it is to go to parties. Right? Well, that's kind of interesting. Should I just start trying to visit a funeral every Friday? Well, it may be, but it's not necessarily like that. But it's just, it's understanding that there might be more gain in a season where you attend two funerals in a month than a, than a season where you're just feasting all month. Because the funeral puts it back into the forefront of your mind that this life's not forever. Yet the party... It, it pleases you in a moment and makes you feel like this life's more permanent than it is. And so the place of wisdom is to understand that, that this life is falling through my hands like sand. And Solomon doesn't necessarily tell us what to do with it, okay? Because he, he wasn't, you know, he, he, he just knew wisdom. He, he did not know really what was next. But, but the place of wisdom is t- to literally feel like time is fleeting, and um, there's really nothing I can do about it. And then we now know through Jesus that while time is fleeting here, I'm going to be spending eternity with him. But how can I use this vapor of a life of mine that's dissipating to bring him glory and honor and and to help other people whose time is equally falling from their hands so that they can have eternity, right? And how can I uh, enjoy the time that's moving too quickly because I know that God's given me everything that I have, right? And so um, then he goes on to say, be not quick in your spirit to become angry for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Um, So just a couple of things, you know, wise people, um, wise people are not quick to get angry. Also it says, say not why were the former days better than these for it is not from wisdom that you ask this. That's a good one is wise people do not, are you ready for this? I'm going to try to phrase this the right way. Wise people do not overly reminisce about the past. Okay, and that's true. I don't know. I can't remember which translation. I think it's the NLT, but I think it it says uh, uh, wise people don't uh, look back at the good old days or something like that. It specifically says the good old days. Wise people don't speak often of the good old days uh, for it's not wise to do this. Something along those lines. And that's kind of an interesting passage because it's not bad to reminisce. and It's not bad to look back and praise God, of course, for the things that he's done. But it's not healthy. I mean, just think about it in concept of you have a rear view mirror on your car and you have a windshield on your car. And uh, you, how often do you look through the rearview mirror and how often do you look through the windshield? Well, you say, well, I look through the windshield almost exclusively. I only look in the rearview mirror when I absolutely must. And whenever, um, you know, I'm backing up, uh, you know, just different things like that. That's, that. That percentage, that ratio would probably accurately describe how often I should look forward and how often I should look back. 
um, you know, because you're, you're going forward. You're not moving backwards. You're, you're never going back to where you've been. And so the focus of your heart is what lies ahead, not what was behind. Now, I can look back on God's faithfulness and what he's done, but I don't want to reminisce even about the... It's, it's, I see why Solomon was troubled because it's difficult to describe wisdom. I can look back and praise God for what he's done, but I also must not dwell too deeply. I've known people that get lost in just, oh my gosh, how God moved in 2018. Oh my goodness, that was just the year. And even that, they can even get lost in almost idolizing just what God did in a season. But God wants us continuously even if I look back, it's only to to remember that he can do it again. He can do it again. God, you're so good. You did it here. You'll do it again. God, you're so, you know, and it's like, even when I look in the back, I just look back forward again. And so it's not wise to always be reminiscing about the days of old. Um, of course, especially not if they're sinful days, but, but also not even um, just looking back and always thinking that you had it better than you do now because God's still got a purpose and a plan for what's happening right now, even if it's not as pleasant in this very moment as you perceive that the past was. And the past is a dangerous thing because our perception of the past is not reality. It's not. Did you did you hear that? Our perception of the past is not reality. You can look back on a horrible season of your life and think about it fondly because it's like looking back at a loved one who's passed. There's just something in your heart that, that just longs for it because you know that you can never have it again. Wicked people die every day and the families of them cry and mourn and look back on them fondly right? There are seriously people that are dying every day and the people around them, their lives are actually better because they've gone. Seriously, abusive husbands, bad fathers, right? Um, you know, wicked women. I mean, there are people that are literally dying every day. And the people around them are, are better off. Seriously. Yet they still mourn the same. They grieve the same, right? There's something about the heart when it looks back and, th- and knows that I won't have another moment with that it begins to celebrate all the good of what was old. Does that make sense? So it's dangerous to always be looking back because your heart will find all the good and totally forget all the bad. And then you'll, and then you'll think that every, but in the present, you can see both. So you look back at the bat, at what was, and you think it was better than what is, but it's only because your eye can't see the bad of what was, but your eye can always see the bad of what is. I know this is complicated, but I hope it makes sense to you. Uh, as it, as it's wisdom is to look ahead. And I look back, but I look back to praise God. And I look back to look ahead. I don't look back to just dwell there, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, So he says, uh, and this goes along with what we're talking about. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may find out any, so man so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. So God made both days. I love that. God made both days. So the good and the bad alike. So we have to look to find the meaning and the purpose of every day and not just compare the two days like one was good and one was bad. Well, one was enjoyable and one was painful, but you may gain more from the painful day. That's the whole That's the whole concept of the party and the funeral. Well, the party's fun, but the funeral's painful, but you may gain more from the funeral. Right, the movie theater's fun. The gym's hard, but you may gain more from the gym. That—that's wisdom. It's just understanding that sometimes pain is necessary. Okay, uh, this is an interesting verse, verse sixteen of chapter seven. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? This is an interesting thing. So, 
an, a, a passage that says, do not be overly righteous. Well, there's a couple of takes on this. Number one, um, you have to understand that his whole concept is that he says the righteous man perishes in his righteousness and the wicked man who there's there's sometimes a wicked man who pro- prolongs his life in evil doing so that's true so righteous people sometimes die at 50 sometimes wicked people die at 90 sometimes wicked people find all of their pleasure by their wickedness and uh, wise people find all of their toil by their wisdom so what he is saying is um He's kind of promoting a level of earthly balance, balance of this understanding of that. Um, it's not by just being righteous that you will have a great life. Um, it, 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 so what we have to understand is that basically righteousness, he's saying righteousness can't save you. Like you live as righteously as you want to, you're going to go down to the grave just the same as the other person. So don't put the level of importance on righteousness like it's going, like it has the power to cheat death because it doesn't because the righteous can die just like the wicked do. And that, that, that is still wise to, to the, there's a call to righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, but it's not through my righteousness that I'm being saved. It's through my faith in Jesus Christ that I've been made righteous. Right. And if I overly pursue just righteousness alone, I arrive at religion. Okay. And then, and then I become wicked, really, because I'm always assuming that what I'm, the good that I'm doing is going to immediately return to me. And it's going to give me length of days and blessing and prosperity. And my heart is no longer, uh, for being righteous because he is righteous if that makes sense. And um, some commentaries I was reading about this also said that basically from an earthly standpoint, some would say that uh, Solomon meant, you know, that he's found that sometimes it's best to be righteous and and honest, and sometimes it's it's best not to for selfish gain. And you think, well, that's kind of that's kind of folly. Well, it is. But from an earthly standpoint, maybe Solomon had meant that righteousness just doesn't always put you ahead. And that's fine to understand that. Okay, that doesn't go against Scripture. Uh, righteousness is what I do for God, not because it's what, because what this world will gain me. See, that's just karma. <laughs> you, you, we get our spiritual principles mixed up sometimes, right? To do good, to get good is karma. That's not what the Bible teaches. I do good because done's been. Uh, I do good because good's been done to me through the work of Jesus on the cross. He doesn't have to ever give me anything else again, unless unless he so chooses to by his good graces. Not that I could earn it through righteousness' sake. So the deep place of wisdom is me understanding that I don't overly pursue righteousness because righteousness doesn't have the power to save me nor bless me. I pursue Jesus. He's the one who makes me righteous, and my righteousness comes uh, from Him alone. Okay, I know it's complicated, but I hope that makes sense. Um, And then he goes on and he talks about how difficult it is to find a righteous people and to find wise people. And... um and and especially to find a righteous and a, or a wise woman, um, he, he yearned for that. You know, he, and he said, "If I had a wise woman, how amazing that would be." And then the the, better, the best thing probably about this chapter is um, where it says in verse fifteen of chapter eight, "And I commend joy." For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. And really what he's, I love it that the ultimate place of wisdom, 
that he arrives at is joy. And he's reached this conclusion three or four times just since we've been reading. He's basically saying, man, out of everything, if there was one thing that I could just say is like actually worth something, it's like that man has joy, which is the power to have a good eye to see what is good and to enjoy, to enjoy good days, bad days, rich days, poor days, to enjoy funerals, to enjoy parties, to find the good in everything of in life. He said there's really nothing better than that. So let us let us seek that as we seek to be people of wisdom, is to be people of joy who look for the good in every situation.